Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith, and I am the teaching pastor here at Anderson College. And man, yeah, we're just, we're so grateful and glad that you've joined us here at Grace. Man, I know that today uh, took a little bit more effort than other days. Uh, you had to put on a jacket and find an umbrella and steal all of those things from your roommate. And so we appreciate uh, your theft. And we are really excited, uh, essentially, to wrap up a series that we've been walking through for the past few weeks. Uh, we've been looking at this idea, this, this topic, this, this, this discussion around, I mean, what does it look like to make really great decisions, right? Because we all have to make choices and decisions in our lives. That's, that's what a life really is. It's the, it's the end total. It's kind of the culmination of lots of little decisions you make on a daily basis. That's kind of the sum total of your life is that all you're making all these choices, all these decisions uh, day by day by day. And, and we know that, man, it can be really hard to make some of those decisions because uh, we might be anxious about it, right? We might be worried about it and we might be filled with a lot of fear. Maybe we're excited, but we're terrified at the exact same time. But when Jesus Christ looked at his followers, he told them, hey, you don't have to be worried. You don't have to be filled with the same fear and anxiety as the rest of this world. Because you know why? Because you have a father in heaven who loves you and who wants what's best for you. And he's going to provide you with what you need. He's going to create the path for you to walk. And so as we look ahead as believers, as people who have put our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, if that's you, then when you look ahead at your life, when you look down the road, you look down your path, as you're making those decisions, as you're making those plans, you're not just kind of looking ahead and then looking in to think about, well, what do, what do I desire? What do I want? You, you look ahead and then you look up. And you look to your father and you ask him for understanding in the midst of all this uncertainty. And so we've been spending three weeks in basically understanding how do we apply God's wisdom to our walks here in this world. And it's a complex topic, right? There's a lot to it. And we haven't covered everything we could possibly cover, and we're, we won't. Uh, today, I'm not talking for three hours today. Thank goodness, right? Because there's, there's so much more that could be said. And I would encourage you, if you haven't been with us through this entire series, uh, you can always go back through our podcast, uh, through iTunes, or on our website. You can find uh, those talks. And I, w- I would encourage you to maybe, if this is a topic that's really kind of weighing on your mind, uh, go back and, and join us kind of for the more full uh, the fullness of this discussion. I would also encourage you uh, on your own to be spending time hearing from the Lord. Don't just take my word for it, right? Don't just hear from me. Hear from the Lord on this topic. And and you do that by reading his word, by reading passages that are related to this decision-making process. And so what we've done is as a ministry, we've partnered with uh, the YouVersion Bible app. And and we basically, a week or two ago, we launched out a reading plan connected to the series. So if you go... uh, through this app, this is probably the if you have a Bible app, this is probably one you have. You can find plans through it, reading plans and devotionals. If you search decisions or decision making or make a decision, uh, will pop up. And I would encourage you, it's about eight, it's like an eight day study. You walk through it, you, you get asked questions, you consider things, it guides you in prayer and it guides you in applying. Well, what does it look like to maybe understand a little bit more about what God has to say about making decisions in our lives? Because our God knows uh, that we need a lot of help. He has given us so much direction, so much wisdom, because he knows that on our own, we are going to repeatedly make decisions in our lives that lead us to regret. Hey, Liam, can you come walk on my back for me? Uh, Dad, are you okay? Are you okay? 
regret hits all of us in different ways, right? At first, sweet little Liam probably regretted walking on his dad's back. He thinks, oh no, I just murdered my father, right? In love, but it's still, it's still murder. Uh, but, <laughs> but then immediately after that, I'm assuming after they you know, end the video, he then regrets just having a father, right? Because his dad is the worst. This is a very cruel, you murdered me, just kidding joke, right? That's that's something that maybe a lot of us have walked through. Maybe, hopefully not this specifically, where our brother, who's way old enough to know better, is still fooled. Uh, hopefully this isn't what we walk through. But we walk through other moments, we walk through other situations where we feel regret, right? That's one of the ways, or one of the things that kind of holds us back or, or fills us with fear when we look at making decisions. It, it creates struggle in our hearts and in our minds. It's, it's one of the things that we've been kind of talking about for the last few weeks. I think these kind of three big areas, these big hang-ups and hurdles that we face in making great decisions is that we feel like we've lost our direction, right? I don't even know where I want to end up, so how do I know what my next step should be? How do I know if I'm going the right way when I don't even know what career I want to be in or what kind of person I want to marry, right? How do I make these decisions if I've lost all sense of direction? Maybe I think, well, I can't make this decision because I don't know enough. I, I, I lack knowledge or, or understanding. I, I haven't learned. I, I don't have the right perspective. I don't have enough knowledge. Or maybe, uh, I think a lot of times, we're held back by this fear of regret. We've made other decisions. We walked on other backs that have led us to feel regret, right? We, we've, we've made mistakes. We, we've hurt ourselves. We've hurt other people through these mistakes. And so we say, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a terrified of making this decision because I don't want to wind up in that place again. But thankfully, our God meets us in this struggle, and he moves us forward with his principles or with his wisdom. We've seen through scripture over the last few weeks that God gives us kind of answers to these hurdles, these barriers. He, he calls us to align our lives with his will. In other words, to fix ourselves on his direction of, of knowing him, right? His ultimate will that we would believe in Jesus Christ and therefore have relationship with our God, our father in heaven. That we would seek out wisdom, right? To overcome a, a lack of knowledge by, by learning, right? Wisdom is shouting from the streets. That's, that's what we see in scripture, shouting from every street corner. And so we just have to be faithful to, to slow down our process, right? To widen our circle, to allow wise, trusted people speak into our decisions, to see what God has to say about the issue at hand. And then what we're going to land on this morning is we're looking at this idea that God is calling us to keep our hands open, right? Keep open hands in these decisions, trusting that ultimately he's in control, trusting that ultimately it's his path that we're walking on, right? And we're going to see this play out in essentially kind of three key ways, right? We're looking in the the letter that, that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians. And we're going to see in Philippians chapter 1 how, how we can overcome this fear of regret by keeping open hands through three key practices. By remembering our ultimate purpose, by recognizing our incredible freedom, and then resetting our maybe very firm expectations. And when we see these things play out, as we kind of put these pieces into practice, what happens is we are a people who are better enabled to make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. Right? So in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing to this church that he really cares for, that he loves, because he helped found this church. He knows these people very, very well. And so when he starts in verse 3 by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you, right? he's being incredibly genuine here. This isn't like that political, like, oh, I'm thinking about you. Boise, yeah, 
You know, like, that's not what it is. So I'm like, wow, it's really great to be, you know, it's not the rock concert. Oh, the best city in the world is Caldwell. Oh, you know, like, that's not what's happening. They don't have concerts there. What am I saying? But they, we are seeing a genuine love and care for these people expressed by Paul because he knows them. And he founded this church. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you. Why? Because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, this is what I'm so thankful for. This is what's so incredible to me. When I'm thinking about you, the reason I'm so joyous, the reason I'm so excited is because I've heard of, I've seen your participation in the gospel. In other words, he says, I see that you are living, sold out for the purpose, the cause of Christ. Literally, the word he's using here for participation in the Greek, he's talking about this idea of gathering together with a purpose. He's saying you're gathering together, you're giving of yourselves, you're you're sacrificing for each other, and you're sacrificing for Paul. Part of why he's writing this letter is he's thanking them for the financial support they've been giving him. They're sacrificing of their financial resources so that Paul can be doing, so that he can do what he's doing. So he can be engaged in the ministry that he's engaged in. He says, man, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for your participation in the gospel, that you're gathering together, that you're giving of your lives, that you're growing and inviting people in. He says, and this is what's incredible. You've dedicated yourself to this and and I want to give you hope. I want to give you an encouragement. It's this, it's that I'm sure of this very thing that the one who began a good work in you will in fact perfect it until the day of Christ, the day of Christ Jesus. He, he's referring to, every time we see this idea, this day of Christ Jesus pop up, this day of Jesus Christ, it's referring to the, the ultimate hope of our gospel. That the ultimate hope of our gospel is not based actually in something that has already been done, but in something that has yet to occur. Right? That's, that's what's compelling about our gospel. It's not just that we see that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live a perfect life that we couldn't live. Right, to live by the standards that God desires for, for perf- perfect holiness. He lived that life, but then he died. He died the death that we deserved. Right? It was our sin, our mistakes, our poor choices that were put on Christ that he paid for. He died so that we can live. And so when he rose again three days later, he says, look, those things that otherwise would have held you down, those things that would have otherwise separated you from the love of God, he says, they don't have that power anymore. He says, I've beat it. I've conquered it. So if you call on me, there's no condemnation for you. There's, there's nothing impeding your relationship with God if you just simply believe in me. It's what God wants desperately for you. That you would believe in me and that in doing so, you would be adopted into the family of God. That he would look at you and he wouldn't see your sin and your mistakes and your failures. He would look at you and he would see his beloved daughter. He would see his beloved son. Right? That's the foundation of our gospel, but the hope of our gospel is that Jesus ascended into heaven shortly after he rose from the grave. And when he did that, he said, Hey, you know what? I'm coming back. See, the incredible hope of our gospel is that there is a day coming, the day of Christ Jesus, when he will return for his people. When his church, his, his body of believers will be caught up in the air with him, where we'll get to walk with him into an eternity of glory and peace and satisfaction. There's no more tears and no more sorrow, no more hard choices. So Paul is reminding this church, these people that he cares for, that he loves deeply, says, man, I love the work that you're doing. And here's the encouragement. One day, the work is done. One day, the mission is complete. So, so man, keep strong, right? Stay set on this ultimate purpose. 
because you only have a limited amount of time to actually work in it, right? He says, I want you to remember your incredible, pressing, important purpose to direct people towards Christ. And that's the point of our lives, right? That's why we're here. This is the Great Commission. Jesus says, I want you to go out. I want you to tell everybody everywhere about me. And so what we've got to remember, if we want to really be walking in a way in which we're making the best decisions as followers of Christ, we have to remember our ultimate purpose. We have to remember that the point of our lives is, in fact, pointing others to Jesus Christ. And when we live that way, when we really use that perspective, what happens is other people, man, they're they're deeply affected. If you see someone living in this kind of single-mindedness, man, it's compelling. We all have that friend who is just like an Aggie, just to the extreme, right? They were born, their parents, I literally know a guy, found out this week, his parents shipped in dirt from College Station, where he was born, so they, and they laid it out under the delivery table, a delivery bed, so that when he was born, he had just like a scent of, I don't know, football in his, in his nose, in hopes that it would, it would in fact bring him here. It worked, I guess. I don't know. Look into it. Or don't. That's weird. Don't, actually. Never mind. But we've seen people that are just, man, they're sort of like, yeah, Aggie through and through. They wear the overalls or whatever. I don't know. And they like paint themselves. They, whatever. Like they're just, they're sold out. Or you have that friend that's sold out for their organization. They're like, man, you got to join Kite Club, man. Kite Club is the stinking best. Call ourselves kiters. And we, we kite. And you see this wind? Ah, the best. That's a kite wind. You know, I don't know. Like that's, people just, they get really excited. And I had these friends, I had these friends in college, I seen these people where they're just, man, they're sold out in this one direction. And when you see that, you're like, man, yeah, I don't ever want to join Kite Club, but I kind of respect you for living it so much, right? Like, that's really impressive that you would walk with such single-minded determination. And Paul is saying, this is what we've all been given. We've been given this mission. We've been given this purpose to live with this single-minded focus, and yet what happens is many times we get distracted, right? Just as, as people, it is easy for us to get distracted, for us to get discouraged. It's easy for us to just get exhausted and tired of this constant, constant calling on our life as believers, right? It, it's, it can be exhausting. It can, it can pull us off track. The struggle is so real, right? We've all found ourselves in that moment, right? We've got the purpose. We're holding the cone, and yet it just it gets so hard to still move in that direction. That's because it takes discipline, right? Anytime, anyone, in any sphere, in any environment, in any purpose, consistently pursuing that direction, it requires discipline. And that discipline has to be cultivated. It has to be generated. It has to be built up over time. Right? You have to work at having this, this single-minded focus and determination. It takes a lot of effort. And it's so easy for us in those moments right, to put our own desires first. But, but what I think is just an easy kind of way to, to just get a gut check. Right? And, and, and this isn't like an end-all, be-all, like perfect three-step process to being disciplined in all aspects of life. I can't, I can't do that. But I think what God gave me, he, he convicted me within the last few years and basically brought a question to my mind. 
as I maybe have a new like hobby come up or a new like avenue of work or whatever it might be, right? And these different kind of environments, this new relationship, this new recreational activity, this new way of resting, whatever it might be. I think the question that we ask is, okay, well, how does this pursuit point people to Christ? And I think we should feel a conviction to ask that question in every environment. And it's not like every single aspect of our life needs to have a very direct connection to sharing the gospel, right? We don't have to be able to say like, well, you know, uh, I I rest, uh, but not really because while I'm resting, I'm actually uh, laying on top of flowers that I I press into books and I send them to encourage people or something. People, we we don't have to say like, okay, you know, well, you know, I've, I've watched three, you know, the God, or the office three times through uh, because I'm working on a translation of the Bible that uses all, God, you know, office references or whatever. It doesn't have to be it. It's okay to rest, right? It's okay to just chill. Uh, that's, that's good, right? Jesus took breaks. He was like, so I got to go to the mountain and he would just leave and it's fine. That's fine. Because in doing so, in resting, right, you're, you're recharging your, your body. God has designed us to need rest. He created this example for us. He took a Sabbath. And so he's like, hey, yeah, chill out sometimes. That's good. Right? But you should be able to say, okay, well, I'm going to rest in a way that doesn't just leave me more drained on the back end. I'm not going to go travel every single stinking weekend. And then when I'm back and with my people, I'm just I'm tapped out. That's, that's not good. I'm not going to be, you know, a jerk to people because I'm not wrestling or because, you know, this hobby, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue, you know, being the best flag football player in the world to the point where everyone else just hates me because I'm just yanking socks out of their back pockets or whatever at home to practice. Gotcha, Rumi, right? That's not, that's not a thing that would point you, right? Again, it doesn't have to be super direct. Like, oh, I'm sharing the gospel every time I, they hike the ball and I'm like, let's just pray about this play, right? Like that doesn't have to be it. But you need to be able to ask that question and I think be able to give a legitimate answer of like, man, well, you know, I, I want to conduct myself in a manner that, that points people to Christ. Man, I want to, I want to be in this school where I want to do the schoolwork in, with excellence. I want to tell the truth in this environment. I want, to, I want to be joyous where, you know, in this environment where other people are prone to complain. And in doing so, what I do is I'm pointing people towards Christ. The, 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 the smell of my life, right? The, the aroma of my life is different in my relationships, in my recreation, in my rest, and whatever it might be. Paul's saying that is our calling. That's what it takes. You've got to be consistently or cultivating this discipline of maintaining your direction. He says, and if you do that, right, if you're, and if you've set this point on the horizon, if you know your ultimate purpose and goal, what happens is then suddenly you are able to recognize the incredible freedom you have to get there. Right, you type in a destination. You you know you go through your phone. You type in Google Maps and you say, you know, uh, stinking. Uh, oh my God, I can't think of a city right now. I'm exhausted. Uh, Amarillo, a faraway city. Amarillo, basically, you know, in the Pacific. And so, <laughs> you type in Amarillo. There are going to be a few options just right from the get go. Right? Even just Google or Apple, they will tell you, like, oh, there's like, here's like three or four routes, and you can go to the. And, and the reality is that, man, there are incredible, there are so many different ways that you could get to Amro. There's so many different ways you could get to Dallas. Some are better than others, but there's still, there, the reality is there are an incredible number of options of how to get to that point. Once you know the point that you're headed towards, that point on the horizon, your freedom in how to get there is actually very wide. And this is what Paul is saying about our lives. A little bit later in this first chapter of Philippians, he tells him, look, for God as my witness, 
Right, that, that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, he's saying, I, I'm saying these things out of love and a deep affection for you. And I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and in every kind of insight. He says, I want to make sure, I want to pray that God would increase your knowledge of the truth and your insight, meaning your ability to apply that knowledge in your life. He's literally praying for your knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and discernment, right? Knowledge being, you know, I, I know what is true. And then wisdom being, insight being, okay, now I know what to do with it, right? It's like the old expression is you say, well, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is actually a fruit, right? The, the ag, ag majors in here are like, you bitch your britches, right? Because it checks off certain things, like the seeds are inside or what, I don't know, whatever. It's a fruit, technically. But wisdom is taking that knowledge and applying it properly. Wisdom is saying, well, I'm still not going to put that tomato inside my fruit salad because that's disgusting, right? That's, that's this like weird old saying. It says, you know that it's a fruit, but wisdom is applying that knowledge properly. So Paul is saying, I want you to be a people that who decide what is best and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. Says, I want you to take this knowledge and this truth and you can decide what is best. Literally in the Greek, he's saying you will approve of things that excel. That's what this decision is. He says you would approve of things that excel. In other words, he's saying you're choosing between good and best. Good and better. You're not choosing between right and wrong. So that, that's really the mo- most of the decisions that are more difficult in the Christian life should not be between right and wrong. God is very clear in his scripture. He's very clear through the spirit who indwells every believer. We have a conviction about what is morally wrong. Generally speaking, we don't have really hard decisions about, well, am I going to uh, tell the truth or am I going to lie? Maybe we struggle with that, but it's because we have these motivations where we think it would be beneficial to cross the line. But we know what's wrong. The really the harder distinction to make is okay. Well, what is good and what is actually best? Paul's saying that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that God would give you that kind of insight that you would be able to approve of the things that excel. Because what Paul recognizes is that you know God has given us this really wide path. He set the point on the horizon, but then how we get there? I mean, we've got all these directions to take. He has given us a wide path. And it's so that we can practice wisdom. It's so that we can use our discernment. It's so that we can use the minds that God has given us. He wants us to make informed decisions. And and what it does is it creates this incredible tension. It creates this this almost uh, unknowable reality. This thing that we want to resolve, this tension, this problem we want to solve, but we can't. It's not a problem to solve. It's a tension to maintain. And it's the fact that we are able to make meaningful decisions, but also God is ultimately in control. We see this throughout Scripture. We see it in Proverbs 21 where he says that a person plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. So which is it? Is a person ultimately in control of his life, or is God, in fact, in control of all things? Which one is it? Well, yes. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And we hate that. We hate, hate, hate that. I hate that. I don't like both ands. I like either ors. Give me one or the other. Red or blue. Black or white. Green or polka dot. Whatever. Like I want to be able to make just like this distinction. But God is allowing us to live in a tension between his authority and our autonomy. 
In other words, God is saying, I'm going to make you, I'm going to allow you to live in this kind of really hard tension because what it does is it brings growth, it brings change, it brings development, it makes our decisions ultimately more meaningful, and ultimately it brings glory to him. And so he says, I I want you to live in this tension, but our tendency is we want to bounce to one of the two extremes. We want to say, no, 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 no. God's just ultimately in control of everything, so I can just sit back, I can just be apathetic, and I can just let it all happen. And I'm telling you, that's not a good decision for life. If you're just waiting for everything to just kind of fall into place for you, that's that's not going to end well for you. The, The Bible calls out lazy people, sluggards. He says, man, that is not a good path for you to take, to just sit back and just kind of think, oh, well, it'll all sort of... That's not how God has designed this world. At the same time, some of us want to bounce to the other extreme and say, well, no, I'm ultimately in control of every moment of my life. Right? I'm the king of the castle. I'm the captain of this ship. But ultimately, that's also not true. And there's moments in our lives where we're hyper aware of the fact that, yeah, you know what? There are some things in this world that we simply cannot do. Thanks, Dad. After filming me for a minute, right? He finally solved my problem. But the reality is that we hit moments in life that are like this, where we say, you know what? I, I, I want my family to look a certain way. I want to be able to just go back for breaks and love every moment of it, and it simply isn't true. We say, man, I want to have these kinds of relationships with my roommates, or, or I want to have this kind of career path. I want to make these kinds of grades. And, and yet we walk through life, and things just don't work out the way that we want them to. We have moments where we realize, man, I'm, I'm ultimately not in control. That complete autonomy is, in fact, completely untrue. It's an unobtainable dream that I would truly be in control of every moment of every day of my life. Circumstances happen. Stuff falls apart. People make mistakes. But within that, see, this is what's so beautiful is God says, but I'm still ultimately in control. That he is ultimately over all these things. And it's meant to be something that provides security and safety and hope and reassurance reassurance for us. Not something that's disempowering, right? He wants us to make meaningful decisions, but he wants us to recognize that he is over all these things. Theologians break it down uh, in a particular way. This is, uh, I'm going to give you just a flyby of essentially theology proper. Theology proper is our study of God the Father. And theology proper, kind of in trying to understand the sovereignty of our God, the way that he's in control of all things, they break it down into different wills. They break it down into different circles or spheres of existence. This is what I mean by that. They say there is a sovereign will of God. In other words, there's what he has created. There's time, space, existence, right? These things are within, all within his uh, control because he is the creator of it, right? So he's outside time, he's outside space. And so he can control, he's ultimately in control of all these things. And within existence itself, he has a permissive will. There are things that he allows to happen, that he permits happening. Right? And we cannot go outside of that permissive will. God can do whatever he wants. But we, as part of his creation, we cannot go outside of that permitted will. Uh, you know, meaning like if I uh, took my phone 
And I, oh man, this is a lot more dangerous. I just used a, a much lower stake object in the first service. But if I took my phone and I let go of it right now, it will probably fall to the floor, right? We're pretty sure of that. Uh, because God has created systems and structures in our world. He's created things, uh, physics and, and chemistry and biology. He's created uh, gravity. And so if I drop my, oh man, if I let go of my phone, it will probably drop. I'm going to put my hand here just in case. Right? But at the same time, maybe it'll float to the ceiling. We don't know for certain, right? Every other time it's fallen. This is, this is why you know, gravity is kind of still a theory because we don't know. For cert- you cannot know with certainty. That if I let go of my phone, that it's going to drop. Oh, it did. Okay, right? It did. But we didn't know that. All right? But we probably had a pretty good understanding. We were thinking, well, you know, it seems to be that God generally makes, allows these things to fall down, that they generally won't float to the ceiling, right? You never know. God can do whatever he wants. And that's what miracles are. It's God kind of breaking his own rules. He's stepping out. He's, he's bringing things into that permitted will that otherwise are not there. But, but every time I drop this phone, probably it's going to, yeah, it is, man. I was kind of hoping it'd float one time. And you'd be like, what? <laughs> this is real? Right? That, that would be amazing. But there's a permitted will that God has. And then within that, there's a moral will. Meaning that there are certain things or decisions that, that God says, these things are morally right or wrong. So he says, you know, there's lots of amoral decisions. Meaning there's no morality involved. You say, I want to wear the blue shirt or I want to wear the green shirt. That's probably not a moral decision. I mean, maybe, I don't know. If your mom's like, I hate blue shirts, and you're like, I'm going to spider with my blue. Like, that is a moral decision. But generally speaking, our moms enjoy all colors. And so when we make these clothing decisions, it's, it's not a moral decision. It's, it's amoral. But there are other decisions. If I'm going to cheat or I'm going to be honest... If I'm going to steal or if I'm not, if I'm going to treat this person one way or if I'm going to treat them another way, right? Those are moral decisions. And God says, I have a desire, I have a will for you to follow. You can step outside of it for sure. You're still in the permitted will. He permits immoral things happening. But it's, it's outside of his moral will. And then within that, uh, we have, in fact, our freedom of decision. That it's within that moral will that God says, hey, I want you to make an informed decision. I want you to feel freedom to pick. There's not just this one singular point, right? It's, it's, there's lots of great options within this if you're staying within these wills. Another way that I kind of, this is just the Jacob version that I broke down, is that there is the things that are created, there's the things that are allowed, there are the things that are approved, and then there are the things that are encouraged. Meaning that you can actually make right, that morally correct decisions that are still not wise, right? I'm putting kind of wisdom within the, what you're encouraged to do. You're encouraged to make wise, informed decisions. But, but you could make an, an, uninf- you know, an, an, an unwise decision that is still moral or is maybe amoral, right? You could say, I'm, today in this weather, I'm wearing flip-flops and a, a swimsuit. And that's all I'm wearing, Everywhere I go. That is not necessarily morally wrong, right? God allows that, unfortunately. Uh, So it's permitted. uh, But it's probably unwise. So we have within this, though, a lot of options, right? We're we're worried a lot of times about missing the point. We're worried that, man, it's it's this choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. This Netflix, Balder Snatch kind of, whoa, man, am I going to make the right decision or not? 
And suddenly, we think that, oh man, you know, if I'm deciding after college, I'm going to move to Dallas or I'm going to move to Houston. And we're like, oh, we debate about it. And then we say, oh, you know what? Okay, fine. I'm going to move. I'm going to move to Houston. And we go there. And then we're afraid that it's just going to be like, oh, turns out Houston was lava. You're dead. We're like, that's our fear. <laughs> that we step out of the car and we're like, oh man. Ah, and we're, we're gone. Because we think that God's will is this sort of like tightrope. And it's not. God has given you a region. He's given you a range. And he says, I want you to make informed decisions, right? He's given us not just this one ultimate goal. He's given us this range of goals. It's not, we're not playing golf where it's like, I got to get this one little ball and this one little hole. We're playing Quidditch where it's like, man, you can like hit people and get points. You can throw a ball through that thing to get a point. If Harry Potter shows up, we all lose anyway, but whatever. You know, like there's just, there's all these options that are all very viable. You don't have, you know, you could marry that person. You could also marry that person. You could probably marry that person. You could also marry that person. You could go to this city. You could go to that city. You could take this career. You could choose that major. There's lots of encouraged paths to reach that ultimate goal of making Christ known. This is what we see in Genesis 2, right from the beginning of creation. God wants people to make informed decisions. He He forms out of the ground every living animal of the field, every bird of the air. He brings them to Adam to see what he would name them. And whatever he called each living creature, that was its name. God was excited to see what Adam would name them. How cool is that? God says, I want you to make make your own important decisions. You're going to choose the names for these creatures. Now, there's boundaries, right? God doesn't say, like, you can just create new creatures, right? Adam doesn't have that kind of autonomy. He's not like, well, what happens if we take a duck and a beaver and just poof? God's like, that's a platypus. I already did that. (laughs) Just give them a name. Or maybe he said, actually, he would have said, no, I made that. What do you call it? And he's like, platypus. And I was like, okay, weird, but all right. <laughs> right. But we see this incredible ability to make meaningful decisions at the beginning of creation. We see at the beginning of the church, Acts 15. The, the apostles, this early, these early believers, they're trying to figure out how to use the people and resources that they've been given to accomplish the purpose of telling everyone everywhere about Jesus. And so they're explaining, they're kind of making this decision And as they talk about it, they say, well, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch. And then they write a letter to Antioch to explain their decision. They say, well, it it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select these people uh, to send to you. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Right? They're saying over and over again, this dokeo, this this really freeing term in Scripture, this Greek term that says essentially you're just kind of making the best choice available. They're like, it seems like it's best for us to go this path. They're not saying God has told us with absolute certainty that we need to send you this to the person and that person. They say, we're making an informed decision. We're trying to be wise, but we're ultimately recognizing that, you know what? God has created this path for us to walk, and so we can move forward with confidence. It seems good to move forward, right? We see the freedom that God has given us, and as we move forward with this confidence and wisdom, we can trust God enough to reset our expectations. This is how we see it play out in Paul. He's writing to this church in Philippi, and he tells them, right down in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. He's kind of surprised. Why? Because he's actually writing this letter from prison, from persecution, from a place of being oppressed because of his belief, because of his practice. And he says, but here's the thing. I'm actually realizing now that my situation is advancing the gospel. It's still accomplishing its ulti- my ultimate purpose. 
How so? Well, the whole imperial guard, everyone else around me knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And this is really meaningful for the people in Philippi because they actually, one of the very first families that came to faith in Philippi, it was Paul ministering to his jailer, the guy who was his prison guard. And so he's saying, man, I'm seeing the exact same thing happen here. He says, and most of the brothers and sisters having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever, dare to speak the word fearlessly. He says, there's a boldness, there's a fire going out around the people in, in this area, in this city, because they see what I'm going through. And God is using that to catalyze this incredible passion and boldness in their lives. He says, ultimately, what I'm seeing is that God is accomplishing his purpose, that I can trust God in the twists and turns, because I can always point people to Christ, even in my problems. Paul is saying, I, I don't regret the decisions I made. I don't regret what I've done just because circumstances are not what I expected or seem to be less than ideal. He says, I don't have to regret it because I know that it's still God's path, that God can take our mistakes and our failures and our faults, and he can weave them together to tell an incredible story. And there goes the boss of the operation. My father, Larry Wayne Petty Sr. Walking like he old. What's wrong with him? You're on camera. Say something. Last night and night before, there was three women walking down the street that way. I saw them. I said, hey, you three women. Why are y'all walking down the street that way? There's nothing down there. And they flew away. I saw them with some birds. (laughs) I mean, that is the greatest story. In our world, I change my mind. I dare you to try. And that's what God does, man. He takes mistakes and problems and issues and, and, and struggles. And what he does, he takes it and he uses it to tell his incredible story. He uses Paul's imprisonment to further the gospel. He takes a young son who, who is hated by his brothers, is sold into slavery by his brothers, is sent off to this foreign nation, is, is lied about, is cheated, is stolen from, is betrayed. And yet he uses all of these circumstances to bring this little guy, this guy named Joseph, into a position of power to where he can save God's chosen people, the Israelites. And Joseph looked at his brothers who sold him into slavery and he says, God used what you meant for evil, God used for good. God is so incredibly powerful and he's got such incredible perspective that he was able to take his own son, send him to earth to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, right? And then when he's murdered unjustly, undeserved, when he's murdered, God takes an undeserved, an unjust, horrific beating and murder and says, through this horrific death, I'm going to bring life to all of humanity. That's unbelievable. That God can take these horrific events and weave them into an incredible story. His story. His ultimate story of creation and rebellion and redemption and recreation. That's 
what God's doing in our lives. If we keep our eyes fixed on that horizon, Paul is saying, look, this is the joy that we can maintain. He says it like this in verse 18. He says, I will continue to rejoice for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. He says, I know that it's easy when you get hurt to lose your hope. He says, so this is what I do. He says, I maintain my joy through prayer and through community. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm praying to God. He's already told us, told us that in the letter. But he says, but I'm also relying on your prayers. I'm leaning into my community. I need my people. And, then, and as those people are caring for me, supporting me financially, praying for me, he says, I'm trusting that the work of the Spirit is not yet done. I'm trusting that God is on the move, that he will give me strength where I'm weak, that he'll bring life where I'm dying. That he'll bring abundance where I feel tapped out. And this is what we're called to. To be a people who are willing to open up our hands on what we expect in life. And even though we think, man, I wanted to be in this place with that person doing this thing. Even if that doesn't all turn out the way we think it will. If we're really keeping our mind on focused on our ultimate purpose of making Christ known, of knowing him and making him known, if we're making wise decisions by slowing down, by widening our circle of input, by following, aligning our lives with the will of God. I mean, if we are really walking forward in that, then suddenly we don't have to regret when things don't turn out the way we wanted them to because we trust in that moment that God is in control, that he's going to use our decisions and the decisions of people around us, even when they, they might have been not the best, even when they might have been immoral, even when they don't you know, lead to the results that we wanted them to lead to, God will take all of that And he's still crafting an incredible story that it's hard to see through the windshield, but maybe we see it in the rearview mirror. God's on the move. So let's go to him right now and just ask him to give us that trust and that hope that Paul was able to maintain. God, we thank you that you've given us, Lord, wisdom and and direction in your word. Lord, we ask that we would be a people who continually turn to you in times of uncertainty. That, God, that we would trust you with our path, with these steps. God, knowing that ultimately you have a plan and a purpose in mind, that you prove to us that you are the greatest planner because you created a way for us to know you through the death of Jesus Christ. God, when no one else saw any other path. So if you would just take a moment right now and ask the Lord, say, God, show me, where is it that I could use some direction? Maybe that's a really easy question to answer for you. Maybe it's harder, but you can trust. Say, God, show me. Is it this relationship? Is it a certain thing with work? Is it a thing with the summer? Is it a thing with school? But God, where do I really need you to provide my next step. And then ask him, say, God, give me the confidence to trust that you're on the move, that even if he doesn't give you this this audible answer to your question, that that he has given you the people you need, the the knowledge that you desire, the the discernment that's required to make an informed decision, and that you would be able to walk forward in that choice with confidence, trusting that he's ultimately in control. So ask him to move you forward in that way right now.